0: of the international news.
1: Stand up! Stand up! Stand
2: up! Stand up! Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great
3: show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice
4: of America!
3: Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners, and happy Friday. This is VOA Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the May 6th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Egypt and Liverpool football star
1: Mohamed Salah tops our
3: Friday show.
1: Yeah, I see we lost in the final. It was a sad day for all of us, uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's revenge time.
3: It's revenge time. Mosala and Liverpool lost the 2018 UEFA Champions League final to Real Madrid 3 1 in Kiev, Ukraine. Now in France, the Reds of Liverpool have a chance to turn the tables. That's right, Liverpool will play Real Madrid in the 2022 UEFA Champions League final on May 28th at the Stade de France near Paris,
1: and Mo Salah is looking forward to the encounter. Well, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm sure the team as well, our team is so excited about it. Um, I said before the game I wanted to play Madrid in the final, so we got them. I'm sure it's going to be a tough game. They beat uh, a lot of good teams, uh, so we just need to focus in, in the game and First of all, we still have a few games in the Premier League. We have to finish them in uh, in the best way possible, and we see. Mo Salah spoke in
3: London, where he received his second Football Writers Association
1: Footballer of the Year Award. It's very great. Um, First of all, I want to thank everybody who votes for me. Uh, Of course, journalists are a big part of the football family, and hopefully we can win some more this season. As Mo Salah said... Liverpool still has a few matches left in the English Premier
3: League. The Reds of Liverpool are only a point behind Manchester City in the campaign for league supremacy with four matches left. Liverpool will host Tottenham Hotspur on Saturday and the Reds have the opportunity to retake the lead. Mo Salah says the Reds are still in the running for a historic quadruple
1: of trophies. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's still not everything in our hand, but I think we have to win the games in the Premier League and we see if City draw points or not. Um, They have a great team, great manager. I'm sure they want to keep winning, at least they finish the season with the Premier League, but I think we just need to focus on our game. We have... uh, We can win three trophies, that's in our hand, the the cup game and the Champions League one, because that we can compete on. The other one, you have to wait for City to drop points, but I think it's possible. That's Egypt and Liverpool
3: football star Mo Salah. And he spoke in London, where he was presented with his second Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year Award. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Sinomale joins us now with a Spicy package of African sports highlights. Sporty Friday greetings, Samson.
0: Sporty Friday greetings to you, Sunny. We begin the wrap of Africa sports highlights, previewing the weekend sport action with the semi final first leg of Africa's elite club competition, the Confederation of African Football Champions League. Al Hockley will host Algeria's ES Satif in the first leg of the Champions League semis on Saturday at the El Salam Stadium in Cairo before playing the second leg one week later later in Algeria. The Algerian side reached the competition semis at the expense of Tunisian giants, Osporons the Tunis, after claiming a surprising 1-0 win in Tunisia following a goalless draw at home. In the early kick-off, Petro de Luanda will be looking to make history when they face Wada Casablanca. Petro have never appeared in the final of Africa's elite club competition, although they came so close back in 2001 after losing on penalties to Memelodi Sundowns in the last four. This will be a rematch for the two clubs who were drawn together in Group D. Jerry Udo is a football historian. He told the sunny side of sport that al Hartley and Weda Casablanca are the clear favourites likely to progress into the finals.
5: Well, Sam. Naturally, uh, when it comes to uh, the Calf Champions League, Al Ahly are the record winners. I think they have nine titles. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, that makes them the record winners of the competition. And playing against two-time champions if Al Ahly are having an edge. They have the experience. They've won the tournament several times before, and they have a very sound coach in Pizzo Musumani, who has what it takes to be able to get them to another final. So Al Ahly are favored. They are the best club side in the continent, and I think they have everything that it takes to be able to qualify. But of course, they cannot underestimate team of Algeria because the Algerians also have experienced enough they've won the tournament two times so they should be able to of course give Al Ali a very good fight and talking about uh, Petro de Luanda of Angola taking on Wydad Casablanca of Morocco Wydad, of course also have won the tournament twice I think record shows that they are the most successful Moroccan side talking about uh, Wydad Casablanca they've won the Moroccan league title uh, I think about 20 times or thereabouts they are also twice champions of the calf champions league the North Africans, the Maghreb are always able to win this one. The Angolans uh, will, not, will not go to the pitch to to roll on the top for them to, to be beaten. I, I, I foresee a final between Al-Ali and Wydad Athletic of Morocco. But anything that gets to the last four of the tournament, anything that gets to the semi-final, is as good as winning the competition.
0: In women's football, Nigeria's under-20 girls, the Falconets, have been drawn to face France and Canada in the group stage of this year's FIFA under-20 Women's World Cup. In the draw ceremony held on Thursday night, the Nigerian girls are housed in Group C, where they will also face Korea Republic. Ghana's black Maidens. the other team flying Africa's flag, were placed in Group D with Japan, the Netherlands and the United States. Only four countries, namely Germany, Brazil, USA and Nigeria, have played in all editions of the the FIFA Under-20 Women's World Cup since the competition was launched as a Under-19 Championship in Canada 20 years ago. Ryron Zamora is a sport journalist with JFM Jones. She believes Ghana got a tougher draw than Nigeria.
4: Well, I think the draws look good and very tough, especially Group D. Group D is the toughest for me, I think, yes, with a combination of Japan, Netherlands and USA against Ghana. That is definitely going to be tough for Ghana. But Group C looks a little bit tricky, but easy for Nigeria against France, against Canada and Korea Republic. It's going to be tough, but I I feel we can actually do well and uh, progress from the group phase.
0: Staying with football news, the Gabonese National Division 1 Football Championship will kick off on the weekend of May 14th for the 2021-2022 football season. The Gabonese top-tier championship was last played in 2019 but was abandoned halfway with Fegafoot deciding not to promote or relegate teams that season. The 14 clubs taking part in the championship have been divided into two pools of seven teams each. Uganda will host the championship at the FUFA Technical Center in Njeru between May 22nd and June 5th. The national teams that will take part in the Sakefa Women's Championship 2022 will include hosts Uganda, Burundi, Djibouti, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Tanzania, Rwanda and Zanzibar. Uganda Crested Crane's coach George Luthalu says the Sakafa tournament will be used to prepare for the Nations Cup, Arden that the team will enter residential camping on the 7th of May. And on to athletics. Top athletes from around the world will converge at the Kasarani Stadium for the third edition of the Kipkino Classic schedule for this Saturday. The World Athletics Continental Tour will see the likes of Jamaican Spring Queen, and nine-time world champion, Ann Fraser Prize, known affectionately as Pocket Rocket, choosing the East African nation to open her 2022 campaign. It will be her first trip to Africa.
4: For me, being able to raise um, athletes that will definitely bring your A-game out is very crucial because the only way you can practice what you have been doing in training is if you have good competition. So I'm just looking forward to having good competition and focusing on just... Me as an athlete and what I want to accomplish for this 2022 season. Um, for me, um, it's never too late to start a new tradition. I know Kenya is known for long distance, and you guys have dominated in that area. But it's never too late to dominate in the sprints and maybe in the jumps or you know anything. But you know, it's just for them to be passionate about it.
0: Tokyo 2020 gold medalist Italian Lamont Marcel Jacobs has welcomed the challenge posed by an intimidating lineup in the 100 meters field after the kip kino classic
6: it's fantastic it's amazing it's my first time in africa and in kenya i'm really happy to be here i can't wait to compete i know the the track is really fast i have a good competition is a really good competition and i can't wait to to compete
0: American Fred Curley, who took silver at the Tokyo Olympics, and African record holder Ferdinand Omanyala from Kenya, are hoping to give Jacobs a run for his money.
1: I feel wonderful to get back. I set a PB at the end of my season last year, so it was wonderful to be back where I ended my season at last
0: year. I, I've said this and i will say it before, again that if somebody's going to win, to win that race, it will be a 9-7. If it's not a 9-7, then there's no race in that in that Keno classic hi guys i'm fatnano Omanyala, the fastest man in africa african 100 meter record holder and now you're listening to sunny side of sports on the voice of america the Ugandan Champions Trio of Peruth Chimutai, the Tokyo 2020 Women's steeplechase Chase Champion, Doha 2019 World's Gold winner Halima Nakai, and Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games Bronze winner Winnie Nayando, arrived at the Kenyan capital on Thursday. It's
4: my first time to do 5,000 in, in big meetings, so I'm expecting a lot, maybe a PB win. Yeah, I do my training well.
2: Of
7: course, uh, I come Kenya to defend my title. I'm preparing for World Championship and Commonwealth. If one can train well, then uh, I go for competition.
0: Every competition is different. Everyone has come here to win, so let us wait until the race ends on Saturday. John Kimito of Athletics Kenya speaks of preparations and expectations ahead of hosting the Kipkino Kino Classic on Saturday.
7: When we were given under 18, it was an international event. Um, we did it well and we grew to the next stage of being given under 20. So we have progressively grown in terms of perfecting our preparations. So when we came to Keno Classic, the first edition, the second edition was an improved Keno Classic of the first one. In terms of we were learning more and bridging the gaps which were there. And the third one, now this one, we, we, we feel as Athletics Kenya, that it, it will be a better one, number one, in terms of the organisation, number two, in terms of attendance. In tennis news, Tunisia's aunt
0: Jobor made history on Thursday as she became the first Afghan player to reach the final of any WTA 1000 event at the Madrid Open. The 27-year-old World number no. 10 defeated Ekaterina Alexandrova 6-2, 6-3 on Thursday in their semi-final. In their eighth meeting, it proved to be just the second win for Jabour, and she said after the win, she was delighted to grab a rare victory.
1: I'm glad that I uh, really pulled the win today. Uh, I played really good. I was um, ready for the right moment, and um, hopefully I continue playing this level uh, for the final.
3: That's Tunisian tennis player Anz Jabour, and thanks to Samson O'Malley for that extra spicy package. Of African sports highlights. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. This evening, Adam Phillips looks at the controversial and charismatic life and legacy of Muhammad Ali, the three-time world heavyweight boxing champion who died at the age of 74. And Adam begins with Ali's birth. Muhammad Ali
8: was born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. in Louisville, Kentucky on January 17, 1942, to a poor family. One day, when Cassius was 12, someone stole his beloved bicycle. A white policeman named Joe Martin heard Clay crying and vowing to beat up the thief. On the spot, Martin offered to mentor the boy at his boxing gym downstairs as a way to channel his anger. In 1960, just six years later, Cassius Clay would win Olympic gold in Rome. The most popular USA winner was the lighthearted Cassius Marcellus Clay the V, in white here, who easily defeated Poland's Zbigniew Patrakowski, Cassius Clay, the winner for the USA. Legend has it that back in Kentucky, Cassius Clay angrily threw his gold medal into the river because of the racism he encountered in Louisville. Still, he was quickly snapped up by a small group of Louisville investors who sensed his promise, says New York University history professor Jeffrey Sammons, who doesn't really believe that Ali actually threw his medal away. But the author of Rebel with a Cause and Beyond the Ring, the Role of Boxing in American Society,
2: says that all the hype around Cassius Clay was certainly real and enough he becomes a madison avenue creation a breath of fresh air boxing had grown stale there there were all kinds of issues with organized crime they saw in this young brash cassius clay someone who would make boxing marketable in a way that it once had been he modeled himself on in some ways jack johnson because he talked to his opponent but on the other hand on gorgeous george uh, who was this foppish wrestler who had all the shtick, you know, with perfume and blonde hair and effeminacy, etc., uh, that he was the beautiful one. And, of course, uh, young Clay uh, referred to himself as beautiful but also as the greatest.
0: This is the legend of Cassius Clay, the most beautiful fighter in the world today. This I predict, and I know the score. I'll be champ of the world in '64.
2: This patter earned Cassius Clay the nickname the Louisville Lip. Many people didn't think that he was for real, that he was more mouth than skill or talent. And of course, many of these opponents were not very skillful boxers or, or they were well past their prime. As when, in November
8: 1962, Clay fought Archie Moore in Los Angeles. The man fans dubbed Ageless Archie entered professional boxing seven years before Clay was born. Clay accurately predicted before the fight, don't block the aisle and don't block the door.
3: You will all go home after round four. Ripping punches by Clay and more goes
6: down. Cassius raises his hands over his head and it's all over. Clay wins by a fourth round knockout as
8: predicted. Soon bigger bouts were in the offing. Ali had won all 19 of his professional fights when he challenged Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world. Hulking and powerful with a criminal record and alleged ties to the mafia, Liston accepted Clay's challenge. The fight was set for February 25, 1964, in Miami Beach, Florida. During the run-up to the bout, Clay continually taunted Liston to reporters, calling him a big, ugly bear who even smells like a bear.
0: I'm handsome, I'm fast, I'm pretty, and can't possibly be beat.
2: If you like to lose your money, be a fool and bet on Sonny.
8: When Ali showed up for the weigh-in the night of the match, the betting odds were 8-1 against him. Astoundingly, Clay vanquished Liston in the seventh round in a technical knockout.
6: Clay has won! Clay has
8: won! Then, the new heavyweight champion of the world does something else, perhaps even more dramatic. Immediately after the fight, he announces that he had converted to the Nation of Islam that he was changing his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay is a slave name, he said. I am Muhammad Ali, a free name. It means beloved of God, and I insist
2: people use it when they speak to me. Jeffrey Salmon says this frightened and angered many people. Many people saw the Nation of Islam, or even Islam itself is sort of a non-Western religion. So that made Ali an outcast. Someone said that they'd rather have someone who's identified with organized crime than to have someone identified with Islam, or in this instance, the Nation of Islam, which was known at that time by many as black Muslims.
8: Although Nation of Islam leader Elijah Muhammad and his follower, the black power activist Malcolm X, both rejected the term the Nation of Islam did portray whites as devils and
2: blacks as racially and spiritually superior. One of the things about the Nation of Islam is that it rejected integration, it believed in separation of the races which ironically made it very popular with the Ku Klux Klan. Malcolm X actually met with Klan. It also resonated with someone like Richard Russell, who was a staunch segregationist senator from, from Georgia, and Russell was very supportive of Ali, so it, it just shows you there can be strange bedfellows mm-hmm. in politics and boxing.
8: In December 1965, Madison Square Garden photographer George Kolinsky was still an amateur. He was in Miami when he spotted Ali crossing the street to the storied Fifth Street Gym, where the champ was training to fight Ernie Terrell the following March. Knowing that Ali was now one of the most famous and controversial celebrities in the world, Kalinske decided to follow Ali inside, even if it meant using a bit of bluff with Angelo Dundee, Ali's trainer,
9: at the door. And I said... I'm the photographer of Madison Square Garden. At that point, I was only the photographer of my family. Angelo Dundee looked at me and he said, "Okay, comedian, come on in. So I went into the gym and I see Muhammad Ali working out. What was it like to see that? Pretty excited that I would be able to take pictures of somebody famous in an area that was pretty private. We had instant chemistry. We had, at least I had, the trust almost immediately in Muhammad Ali looking into my camera, and he somehow was trying to be good to me so that I would get good pictures. The eight pictures Kalinsky took that day did land him a photographer's
8: job at Madison Square Garden. More important to Kalinsky, however, was that the initial unspoken trust he shared with Ali developed into a friendship that lasted a lifetime.
9: And that friendship was very, very important to me because, number one, I was able to get really great shots of probably the world's most famous-looking face. And secondly, Muhammad Ali, for all the brutality that boxing represents, also represented to me a beauty where he tried to be friendly and kind. A current exhibit of George
8: Kalinski's photographs of Muhammad Ali at the New York Historical Society shows many of the softer sides of Ali behind the scenes. There are pictures that show him eating, washing up, or just clowning around. One memorable shot shows Ali napping in his hotel room between workouts. The muscle tone and gleam of his torso make him look every bit the champ. Yet one can also sense the all-too-vulnerable human being within. Of course, most of the most famous Ali photographs were shot in public, either in the ring, training, sparring with the press, or showing off to the public. Muhammad Ali was a fascinating subject, says Kalinsky, because everything he did radiated charisma.
9: Whenever you walked down the street with Muhammad Ali, walked into a building, into a lobby, whenever you walked into an area where there were a lot of people, everybody sort of gawked at him as if, wow, that's Muhammad Ali. How many people in this world have that charisma that he had?
8: Ali often projected an image of barely contained masculine rage. This was publicity gold. But Kalinske says Ali was actually the gentlest man he ever knew.
9: Not many people know, unless you were speaking to him in private, that he really spoke in private in a whisper. For the Sunny Side of Sports, I'm Adam Phillips in New York.
7: Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to pcusa at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Castiel VOA or on Twitter at Carol Castiel VOA. That's Press Conference USA. Every Saturday and Sunday on the Voice of America.
6: Wanna relax? unwind, or charge up? Then listen to Music Time in Africa this weekend. It'll do all that for you and more. I'm Heather Maxwell. I know good music. And Africa is my passion. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for one hour of commercial-free Pan-African music of the highest caliber. You get great music, music news, and amazing artist interviews from rising stars to superstars. This listen will take you places, so do it. Join me for Music Time in Africa, your weekend destination.
3: Our destination now is Kenya, where a speed skater has been winning races and dreaming of one day competing on the international stage. VOA's Gwen Uten joins us now with the profile. Sporty greetings Gwen.
4: Sporty greetings Sunny. Speed skating is one of the world's fastest growing sports and skaters in Kenya are working to keep the sport on track with its global popularity. In a country primarily known for its legendary mid to long distance runners, Kenyan skater Chimbana Lakiza is helping turn the attention to her sport as the reigning junior speed skating champion in the country. She was first introduced to skating at just three years old. Now at age 18, Likiza admits she initially had no interest in taking part in the sport. Likiza says, we still don't know where my sister got my first skates from, but I was not interested at first. I used to keep very bad company. Some of them are pregnant now, and some of the others I started skating with, even they have families now. Lakiza competes in inline racing, which is speed skating on a flat surface, such as a roller rink. Inline skates typically have two to five wheels that are arranged in a straight line. Lakiza skates on four. The inline wheel design allows for greater speed and agility than traditional roller skates, so athletes can perform better at longer distances. Lakiza, along with her training partner, has sharpened her skating skills in Korogolcho, a suburb of the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, and one of the country's informal settlements. There are no roller rinks or designated skate parks, so Lakisa often needs to navigate around pollution in the streets while perfecting her technique and imagining a future far beyond Kenya's borders. Likiza says, I can see skating getting me out of here, like overseas, for instance. I want to live abroad. I believe that skating will get me out of here and take me overseas. Speed skating is still considered a fringe sport in Kenya, but skating promoter Edward Mwangi says the industry is beginning to thrive.
5: Skating industry in Kenya has been growing, has been thriving, uh, as opposed to the common notion that it is a sport for the well-off. We we were here to prove to you that it is a sport for all ages, for all economic backgrounds, for all tribes, for all religions. And in Kenya, we have had it for the number of years now. Mostly we do it in schools, in in learning institutions, but we also have uh, communities where they have roller skating, inline skating as, as their main sport.
4: And while women are still underrepresented, Mwangi believes there will be a shift as more women and girls gain interest in the sport.
5: Uh, the girls have been doing tremendously well, but it has been a challenge because of you know the society norms that this thing is too rough, It is, it is too dangerous.
4: Many young skaters in Kenya, including Chimbana Lakisa, have been inspired by Sabrina Samadar, who in 2018 became the first woman and first alpine skier to represent Kenya at the Winter Olympic Games. Lakisa has become something of a trailblazer of her own. She's won contests and fame as one of Kenya's best skaters, and she's using her cash winnings to help her loved ones at home. Is nós tínhamos tudo Lakiza says most of the cash prizes that I have won go towards helping my family. If there's no food at home, then it's used for that. I don't spend much on myself. I use most of it to support my mother. And while Lakiza wants to continue to support her family, she also hopes to follow in the footsteps of Olympian Sabrina Samadar and one day represent Kenya on the international stage. And that is all for me, Sonny. Back over to you.
3: Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. And that wraps up the May 6th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in and have a nice weekend. And that's the sunny side of
7: sports.
2: it.